Welcome to episode 54 of Robo's, the basketball chat. Myself and Mike Procopio, live from Dallas. How are you going? Folks, excited for the All-Star game, man. A lot has changed since Magic Johnson hit his last shot, man. I'm, uh, I'm geared up for it. I'm, I'm geared up not to watch it again. Yeah. I'm not watching it, but let's just give a quick shout out to Jay Sean Tate, my former teammate, the Sydney Kings, hit the game winner in the Rising Stars uh, challenge or game or whatever it's called. Uh, I didn't didn't watch it. I had it sent to me, but um, a great moment for him, pro a kid that was, uh, you know, or a player that was undrafted when he was real young, you know, 18, 19 year old kid, undrafted, had to go through, played in like random leagues, Belgium. Um, we got him as a kind of a cheaper import um, who we thought would be a really good uh, a good compliment to what we had at the time of the Kings and, and we were right. We hit that one out of the park and, and now he's starting for the Houston Rockets and, and hit a big shot in, in All-Star Weekend. So um, a, a lesson to all the kids out there that you don't, you don't always start on top or drafted. So he's had a great, great couple of years in the NBA. You know, Bogues, I think I've said this on the podcast before. Our game is light years ahead as far as skill level ability to make shots and the physicality of the league as far as like what players do with their bodies so young in, the, in their careers. But what the game is probably at an all-time low at is basketball IQ and dealing with adversity. And a lot of times players, the only way they're going to make it is if they're high draft pick, play, you know, every call, play call for them. This is a great example of a guy that had to go. It reminds me a lot of Bruce Bowen because like a Bruce Bowen had to play in like France for like $1,000 a month minor leagues, had to get it back. And the money was nothing like it was today. And he had to make it that way. And it's a great to hear about the way he made it. And, you know, he didn't give up. It was, you know, everything wasn't in his favor. And he had to, like, battle through that adversity. It's great to see. Yeah, he'll be in for a nice little payday, too, in the next year or so. I'm not sure his contract situation. I think they had him on those notorious three-year non-guaranteed, I think. Um, I'll have to check. But, yeah, he's going he's gonna to get a nice little deal. Great complimentary player. Could really help a championship team off the bench, I believe. Um, even though he's starting in Houston, I think he would be a good piece. Um, 6'4", undersized, kind of, you know, uh, dream on green light um, in a way with, with what he does. Um, you know, defensively, very active, long, and just kind of always has, you know, people saying, oh, he's too small, he's too small, and just plays above that size. So congratulations to Jay Sean Tate. All right, team of the week. Not sure who you got this week, pro, but I have honorable mentions, Chicago Bulls and Memphis Grizzlies. They've both had um, a great week. But the Phoenix Suns, again, pretty self-explanatory. I don't, I don't need to go in too much into detail about why they're doing what they're doing and how they're doing it. But some numbers real quick, nine and one in their last 10, seven straight. In fact, 18 and one in their last 19 games pro and they're 48 and 10. And they've had some injury injuries slash COVID. They've got, Aiton's been in and out. Bookett's missed a little bit of time. They look, you know, they're my championship favorites as of today. Now a lot can change with injuries and form and what that, but they, they just look primed and ready and focused and, um, I caught that game against the Milwaukee Bucks a couple of uh, probably about a week ago now, and it was you know they, they're just really really tough to beat. They don't beat themselves. Um, what I really like about their roster, you know, we all know Booker's their go-to guy scoring wise, but they're so balanced, so so balanced. You know, they've got a bunch of guys that are averaging 13, 14, 15. Johnson and Aiden and um, Chris Paul's obviously running the offense and happy to be second fiddle to, to Devin at times and vice versa and and Bridget, you know there's just so many guys that are doing great things for the Phoenix Suns and we've gone into their numbers numerous times because they've been our 
or at least my team of the week. Um, but I mean, what more can you say about them, bro? They, they are they your championship favorite at this point? At this point, um, I think they're the best team right now, and they're my championship favorite as well. I think they're really good. Um, I mean, they're so good in so many ways, and I think obviously last year's championship run gave them so much confidence, especially the younger players that it's the first time you know being there and. I just think that they they complement each other. They've got stars at multiple positions, and I think they're going to be they're going to be hell on wheels to reckon with if uh, if they stay healthy and, and everything goes their way that way into the playoffs. I think yeah, seven good. games tough. That's a very tough team to beat. You got to beat them four times out of seven, and that's what I'm looking at in a playoff series. If healthy and they're rolling with this lineup now, and they're, they're fully healthy. I mean, very, very tough team to beat. Um, and kudos to the Bucks for doing it because, you know, that was a very, very tough series and they, were, they looked down and out last season in the finals. But, yeah, Phoenix are, are my favorites. Who you got? I've got the Dallas Mavericks, uh, 7 out of 10, though, three out of the last four. I, I think they're, they're rolling on all cylinders. I think they're playing really well. I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr. went down against Golden State not too long ago, thought that that was going to be a big, you know, take a big hit. But they've really, they, they just keep rolling along. I mean, you know, with Luca obviously averaging 27 and 9 and 9. I mean, you know, but they're what I really like about them is they defend their, their you know, they defend, they guard, they play, they move the ball, their role players play well. Um, they're not obviously they're down at their three point shooting this year where they were last year, but I just think they're like it reminds me a lot of their championship team in 11, except they don't have that defensive like in the center's position, they don't have that Tyson Chandler. Like you know, stopper as far as rim protector and things like that. But I, I think they're really good. They may not be good enough to make a like a long title run, like a you know, like a you know, make the conference final type. But I think they could definitely win a round, if not two, uh, if they get things going. I think they've done a great job. Jason Kidd and his staff done great, and I just think like they play together. You know, they're they've got. They're really fun to watch. They're starting to roll. They're definitely starting to roll. It's, it's looking like it's starting to come together for them. Um, if you can get Luca to start the season in shape like he is now, they're probably they're probably closer to one, two, three in the West. To be honest with you, um, you know that that really hurt them when he was out. Uh, the Hardaway injury, they've adapted well. Dinwiddie and, and Bertans have been good acquisitions. So you got to give them credit for that that front office move, which is a lot of people scratch their head with. But I think it was a decent one. Um, it then keeps the ball. You know, it makes it quite clear that Luke is our one, two, three, and fourth option <laughs> instead of being. Yeah, and that's and that's it. That's problematic. You know, just because you got so much riding in that one player, but it is. But at least it at least it now puts it like it's it's not even close. Whereas there was always that 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 push pull with Porzingis. It felt like we're always having these conversations around. You know, it became clearer and clearer that it was Luca one and Porzingis, you know, three, four, five, maybe. But I think that was probably a bit of a problem there. And um, I think now having yeah, there is a lot of pressure when when it's one guy. If he gets hurt or plays bad, you don't win games. But I think it just it, it, now it's really you know the outlining roles for everyone on that team. It's starting to become much more clearer. And you factor in Brunson and 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 Finney Smith and. Dwight Powell and, and all these guys and, and I think they're just comfortable in their roles as a young team, which is which is very rare. Like, you know, to have guys at, of that age to be okay to be like, you know, I still haven't probably really shown everything I can do as a young fella, but I'm okay to buy into this role. I'm okay to buy in, you know, Finney Smith's a prime example, bought into his role, just signed a big contract because of it. Um, his numbers aren't jumping at you off the page um, as far as statistically, but 
they know how valuable he is to their team. They know how valuable he is at the defensive end and, and what he brings and a much improved three-point shooter. So, yeah, I think Dallas um, are really looking good and it'll be interesting to see if they can pick up maybe that that defensive big in the in the buyout market. I'm looking at the Lakers and I'm like, sure, they've got Dwight and DeAndre um, and they're rumoured to be in the mix for Tristan Thompson and of course, <laughs> he's just like surely one of now they yeah, now, surely one of those bigs. Carlisle said he's going to the Bulls, though. He did say he, he did, but he I just did. he's a fir- he, yeah, go, go, yeah. I, I just don't get why the Lakers would even look at him when you got two bigs you're not playing already. Um, so I I, I, I would anticipate uh, DeAndre or probably DeAndre will be bought out um, or waived, and, and someone be able to maybe Dallas could pick him up and have him as a nice insurance policy. So we'll watch that space. Um, yeah, but you know, Carlisle, Carlisle's never wrong, I guess. So we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll see what that was in it. He's the first head. He's the first head coach ever to announce someone's getting waived, and then announcing to the next team they're going to. Hey, that's that was pretty fucking special. Yeah, I saw that. that, and I saw Draymond's comments. Funnily enough, said that what if what if Kristen had a you know a media deal to announce it to make some money that you know Draymond was having a, a crack at Rick Carlisle. Like, what are you doing, dude? You know, that, I found that pretty interesting as well. Well, I got I got three words for that. Wah, actually, four. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it was just funny because I, I wouldn't even think yeah. of that. Like, it's like, what, what was he going to do? A decision type sit down. <laughs> and speaking of yeah. Tristan Thompson, did he did he yeah. really give a did he really give a thank you uh, note to the fans of Indiana? Did he really do? Uh, I, I heard, saw. It, I, heard I thought. He did. It, I, I'm going on your article again. I saw the thing, and I was like, "This can't be real." Someone's, <laughs> someone's, someone's photoshopped Dude. this or like edited it to make it look like that. It was legit, and he was serious. That was fantastic. I mean, that stuff to me is. I love when that stuff comes up like that. That's awesome. Guy was there for literally like 72 <laughs> hours, and you know, he writes a letter. I, I hope he did. It's probably onion-ish, but oh, it was great. I, I think it was, was serious. You know, I love that here. You guys were great. great. You know, the three days, <laughs> the three dinners we had together. I'll, I'll never forget those. <laughs> now that's a pro. That that is a pro to Pro's me. Pro. Like, anybody could think that up. That's yeah. good. All right, team of the week. My shitty team of the week. Charlotte Hornets. Um, they've been in, they've Ooh. been in my sights for a while. Um, they almost did it last week, but the Lakers, you know, pipped them just because all the shenanigans going on down there, but. They're in some trouble, bro. They they have they have fallen off a cliff. Um, they have lost three in a row, one and nine in the last ten. Um, it just, I mean, they had some some issues with, um, yeah, just rumors that it's you know with the injuries and the COVID, what not meshing like it was. I mean, early on in the season, they were rolling. They 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 were probably the surprise team. Them in Cleveland, at least in the first month or two, were were really surprising. You're like, you know, they got a legitimate chance to get better. They're young. Um, they're starting to build. But um, overall, 29 and 31. And, and just, I doubt they fall out just because there's a big, you know, um, they could. They're, they're one game away from 11 and out of the plane. But, and then New York's in 12 and they're, they're, they're four games behind 10 and they're playing like shit. So I think Washington's the only one that can probably jump them. Um, and they're not playing well neither, so they've been pretty lucky in that in that fact. But here's a fun fact for you, Pro. So as bad as they've been, they're number one in the league in scoring, Pro. They're number one in the league in scoring, 113.8 points per night. So I know you're not Einstein, but where do you think their def- the, the, the defensive points per game are, Pro? <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't. It's probably as good as like the Knicks offense. So, yeah, probably not so. 28th. Good. They're giving up 114.7. So, 
Um, and it's such a small, you know, if they get that that number from 114, 114 points to 110, they're, they're probably in the middle of the East, if not four, five, six, you know, and because their offense is, 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 is balling, but I guess, you know, because they're not really putting any emphasis on the defensive end, they're just trying to outscore you. And that doesn't, that doesn't work well in the NBA. But yeah, I, I looked at that and I was shocked. I was like, as bad as they've been, you know, one and nine in their last 10, haven't won a lot of games over the last month or two, um, leading the league in scoring. So what are your thoughts on them? You know, Bogues, they're, they're a team that's like pretty interesting when you look at it. I mean, They've been decimated with the Haywood injury. I think that really hurts them. It's just an extra shooter, extra offensive player. And not a great player by any stretch anymore, but like definitely somebody they could rely on. Uh, not a defender, but someone who's a, a pretty good scorer. I, I mean, look, like Miles Bridges, what he's been doing this year, I, I think he's definitely my vote for the comeback player of the year or the most improved. I mean, he's, he's done a very good job <laughs> averaging 20 and 7 and 36 minutes of work. Ball's been playing. But you know what? I've been watching a lot of videos. This is great. Like YouTube, they pick out everything. Like there are these guys who, people who create content that just pick out everything. And Ball like loses his temper and like some of the like immature stuff that he does as far as like losing his temper and losing his edge. Although he's having an unbelievable year, obviously averaging 20 and 7 and 7. But, you know, he's got to be a leader of that team, even though he's a young kid. He's got to, you know, he's got to. I think he's got to sort of settle it down a little bit with the temper stuff, like on bad calls and things like that and just sort of losing it. I think he's got to just chill. But defensively, I mean, look, they got him. They got, you know, they got him. They got Oubre, uh, you know, Hayward they've had. You know, not gr- many great defenders there. I think Bridges might be one of the better defenders in Plumlee and, you know, P.J. Washington. But they don't really have a lot on the defensive side. They. You know, they're a good team. They're young. They're fighting. They, they fight every night, but they're just in a little bit of a slump, and they just got to sort of ride it out a little bit. And Montrez Harrell, I don't know what he's going to do, but, you know, he gives them a little toughness inside, and, you know, he gives them some talent, averaging about 17 and 8 on the year. I, I think that, you know, for them, I, I think he's got a, they got a chance, but they just got to ride it out. They're in a cold streak right now, and they just got to sort of stick together and battle through it. Yeah, I think their looseness – Free flowing is is a positive and a negative for him, right? So I think they they lose with the ball at times. You know, mellow underhand passes behind the back, a beautiful way to play. But I think that affects them on defensive end because I think they just they do the same thing defensively. They gamble for steals at times in the games I've watched. They're not locked in on the help side for the most part sometimes. And um, I think that free flowing offense is beautiful and, and works well, but I think it's then you got to flick the switch on the defensive end and be like, hey, we are this team offensively. We're going to be loose, free flowing. We'll make mistakes every now and then, but we're going to put we're going to put points on the board. Defensive end, you, you can't you can't play defense like that. You got to have your principles that you rely on, your team principles. You know, um, you got to be on a string with your teammates. Like I know this guy's going to get up in the ball, so I got to come help earlier if he gets beat or vice versa. Hey, this teammate over here, he's got a tendency to gamble. It just seems like they're all over the place um, defensively. So they clean that up. And like I said, if they can just get their, you know, from 28th in the league defensive points per game to to even 12, 13, 14, they'll be in the mix for the playoffs. But uh, they got to adapt. Who you got? At the New York Knicks, uh, currently not doing great. You know, uh, winners of two out of their last 10. They had that monumental loss to the Brooklyn Nets where, like, you look up, they're up, like, 30. 
and they ended up, you know, losing 111-106. You know, we're going to be talking about them later, probably, you know, probably about 90 seconds after I sort of give the spiel, but um, definitely things are struggling right now in Tibbs and company, and, you know, they're just not, they're not playing well. They got, you know, they just, they're not guarding anybody. Obviously, their acquisitions in the summer, you know, with Kemba and um, Fournier, you know, and Fournier, that's, that definitely doesn't help their offense, uh, their defensive output as far as what Tibbs is used to coaching. And like, look, they've been they've been messing up. Like, you know, the other night they had like, well, we'll talk about that later with the coaching stuff. But um, they just been blowing leads. They blowed three twenty point leads in eleven days. They've lost three out of four. Uh, they're not. They're just not playing well. They're not playing well at all. Yeah, and they. I watched that Brooklyn game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm involved with uh, Dabble, which is a, a new startup betting company here for everyone out there. Which you can jump on, download the app. It's pretty cool. You can go on there and make group chats and chat with your friends and share bets and all that kind of stuff. So, I just do some multis um, as promos, and I had I picked. Uh, the only reason I was watching the game was because I picked Brooklyn in my multi because I thought you know New York up and down, they'll probably squander this. And then I saw the halftime score and I was like, fuck, of course. It was like, at one point, was it 54 to 28 at one point, I think, in the first half. And I was like, all right, that one's done. And then I went and did some errands, you know, came back in like the end of the third. And I was like, ooh, it's, it's down to 10. And, and you just watch the game and it just felt like, there's no belief they were going to win that game. And they were up by 20. <laughs> it just felt like you knew the run was coming. And to New York's credit, they sustained the first run in that game. Like they... It got from like 22 down to eight and they pushed it back out to 12 or 14. You thought, okay, they're going to steady out. And then they just squandered the whole thing in the fourth quarter. And it was like just stupid mistakes defensively, wide open feet set threes to Patty Mills, going under on Patty, going, you know, and you're just like, and then that's momentum of the NBA game. It's like Brooklyn got some confidence in them. And then, you know, um, they made a big shot late in that game. And, you know, it just, you just felt for New York in a way, but you're just like, man, what is going on? And it's not something you're accustomed to seeing with a Tibbs team, right? Like that, that accountability on the defensive end and all that um, usually is something they're, they're pretty good at or at least average to above average at. And they're, they're horrible defensively. Like, And they have they have a great rim protection. They have enough athletes. They just, you know, Fournier is a decent defender internationally, just in, in the NBA, doesn't really guard Kemba's you know, I mean, he's never been a great defender and, and, and now he's moving even slower. So Julius hasn't been known for his defense neither. So, um, yeah, it's they're, they're in some trouble. Um, and it's just people, we all thought they, they'd turn the corner at least were building towards becoming a, an Eastern Conference threat maybe in the next three or four years, some free agency acquisitions and, and with what they're building. And it's gone the other way really, really quickly, Pro. That, that's what surprised me. Like the drop-off has just been... You know, it's been three or four months, really, from a decent season last season. Yeah, it's um, it's pretty bad. But you know how it is, folks. Like, the worst thing you can do, right, when you take over a rebuild, and that's what basically they were when, you know, when Leon Rose took the team over and they hired Tibbs, is, you know, they, they, they were trying to just sort of clean it up, is they finished fourth, first year. Like, fourth, I believe, fourth in the East. And, you know, they had very high expectations in that town, which they haven't had a lot of success in that town before they got there. So they get there, they finish fourth, everything's great. They're garden people. Um, they're, they're fun to watch. And then, like, everyone's on cloud nine, and they have that expectation level every year, and that's the problem. And um, I think when you make a big jump in a big market, 
I think when you make a big jump like that, the expectation level, especially in New York, is so, so high. And I think that sort of nipped him in the bud. And, you know, we'll talk about it, I guess, in our next segment. But it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty unfortunate to watch. Yeah, that is our next segment. So Thibs is already on the hot seat. Um, what, what did he sign pro? Was it a five-year deal? Uh, I think it was five thirty-five, mm. if I'm not this mistaken. Is what, but I this could is be year wrong. two. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, on the hot seat, <clears throat> a source has already revealed that he needs a miracle to survive just to get to the halfway point of next season. So, um, some rumblings are starting now. William Wesley, pro worldwide, Wes is um, better known for being a schmoozer of any celebrity athlete and their dog, uh, most uh, NBA games and nightclubs around the NBA circuit. But apparently he's pointing the finger directly at Thibs. You, you wouldn't point it at the front office, Pro, because the, the roster I put together was sensational, right? You'd point it at the coach. That's just the way it works. These are the rumors coming out of out of New York. And um, look, the same old stories are emerging on Thibs, which is what, what what people that probably want him out within the organization will go to and overplaying guys, which he does at times. You have to say he does play guys high minutes, but stuck in his old ways, won't adjust to the new game. My question is, 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 this, is this roster the right roster? And I think your point um, previously that the worst thing about uh, being a new coach as part of a rebuild is having a bit of success early because they're now – Everyone thinks, like we just said, we thought, shit, they're going to be much better this season than they were last season. Last season, they were a 4-5 seed. So I think that that was some fool's gold. They probably overachieved and, and he came in and ruffled some feathers and made some changes and held people accountable. And now there's a bit of a hangover effect of like we were never that good, probably got more out of us than we, sh- we should have should have got. Um, look, they're 25 and 34, 12th in the East, and they're four games out of a plane. So they're, they're very – very unlikely. I haven't checked their schedule. Probably should, but I haven't checked their schedule finishing the season. But they're unlikely to even get a playing game, pro, and that's inexcusable. I think they should be down the down the bottom of that, you know, six to ten somewhere around there. But do you think it's fair to, to put this all on Thibs? And do you think he survives? I mean, I doubt he'll be too unhappy if he's if he's getting another you know twenty five million to walk away, <laughs> go on another a three year sabbatical, uh, which he did. After he was fired the last time, he came up to the Warriors when I was there. He watched some practices like most coaches do, and he was happy to do that and, and better himself. But do you think it's fair? I think part of it's fair. Some of the things that has happened the last week or so in the year, in two weeks, like, look, they knew who they got. I mean, I think, I think World Wide West actually represented him, if I'm not mistaken. At least Leon Rose's um, division, his coach's division, representatives. They know exactly who he is. They know exactly his strong points and his weak points. You know, uh, grumpy all the time. You know, one of the more knowledgeable coaches, probably the best defensive coach in basketball. You know, he could definitely get you organized. He can get you, you know, get your guys ready to compete. But he does certain things. He plays guys long minutes. He's got, he's stuck in his ways as far as how he he, he sees the game and where he wants it to go. Uh, Probably better with veteran players than he is with younger players. But he's a heck of a basketball coach. And then you go, you know, you go into the acquisitions during the year. Look, I li- in the summer, I like Fournier, no doubt about it. But you spend a lot of money on him. You spend about an average of about $18 million. So he's got about, what, let me see. He's, got, he's at 17 to, uh, 17.1 this year. He's got 18 next year. He's got 18, not, 18.9 in 23-24. And he's got... Uh, team option 19 million, which you'll never see the light of day 
probably in 24, 25. So that was a big deal, not because of his talent level, but because of what Tibbs likes to do, how he likes to play. He's not a defending player, you know, and you're in New York and that he, and Evan's been a hell of a player throughout his career, but you're asking him to play in a city where he's got to play a certain way and it's going to be tough for him. And they've had some injuries, small ones to Nerlens Noel and, and, and Derek Rose. That's been, you know, I mean, those guys are, aren't huge contributors as far as like, 20 and 10 guys or anything, but they're big on how Tibbs likes to play, especially in the defensive end with Nerlens Noel and Derek Rose sort of been through Tibbs's deal for a long time. So I think it's, you know, the big thing, Bogues, if you want to be a championship organization is you have to stick together. You have to stick together. I knew this was going to happen as far as like, we talk about it all the time about like, it's a nuclear arms race. So who's trying to get to the owners here first, the, front office or the head coach, you know, because they want to protect their own. And especially when the media, which is brutal in New York, is trying to, you know, trying to poke holes at you every day. So, of course, when things are going bad, you know, it's it's easy to, 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 to sort of throw someone under the bus. I'll tell you a story. You know, there was a time and again, this, you know, this is just how it is in Boston. When I, I was around Danny Ainge a lot, there was a conversation as far as just how the team was doing. The team was doing very poorly. And this is before they made the Garnett trade. This is probably 05, you know, probably 05 and maybe 06, no, 05. And like Danny had a, Ainge had a perfect opportunity to throw Doc under the bus. And it wasn't like that type of conversation just came up. And like, we we're just talking about the team and things like that with ownership. And he, and he defended the guy behind his back a thousand percent. And I looked at him and I'm like, wow, this is a, like, you hear all these th- stories about GMs, you know, you know, cutting, you know, cutting off head coaches behind their backs, to, you know, to their, you know, just cutting them off at the knee. And here's a guy who's got high integrity, who just like backed his guy up. And that's what they need to be doing. They're year two. And this is what happens in New York every single year. Like every regime, and this is why things screw up, because they don't stick together. They, they're in a rush. They throw money, like they throw bad money in free agency. And then they like one side's trying to throw the other side under the bus instead of just sticking together and saying, you know what? We're okay. We're fine. Let's just look, we, we, we're, we're in a tough spot right now, but how are we going to get out of it? Not pointing fingers, not throwing people under the bus, not throwing people overboard, but how are we going to, how are we going to just get through this? And, you know, they've, they've got a, an all right team, but they, they've got moves to make. And they're in year three of a rebuild. But look, you're in New York. You got an owner who's, you know, you got an owner who's a little nuts. And I guess you, you just want to save, you know, save one side of it. And front office probably wants to save themselves. And that's that's not good when that those those types of stories are coming out. Yeah, I think they're they're in some trouble. It's gonna be eventually it's it's gonna it's gonna get to a point where there's gonna be some scapegoating and it's an arms race to the owners, like you said. So I totally agree with that. But it's, um, I mean, one and a half years into a rebuild with a hard-nosed coach to even be talking about firing him already, you've probably got bigger bigger issues than the, than the coach, in my opinion, if you're already looking towards that. Um, you know, if this was a year three, four, five, maybe a little bit different. But, you know, you've, you've maybe you should blame yourselves for not doing your, your research. You know, you know who Thibs you know who Thibs is and who he was and who he's always been. So you knew he's not going to come in and 
run a run a Mike D'Antoni type offense and hug everybody and smile all the time, you know. Um, so that then falls back again on the front office. So if you're firing him after a year or two, you didn't do your your D and Ds around who this guy was. You just hired hired a name because you thought it was uh, hire a name that's supposed to be a disciplinarian and we'll just take him. So then that that falls back on your front office again or your ownership. So um, yeah, I think uh, I think you'll survive. Um, I just don't see it happening next season. I think he gets another year, surely, um, and then beyond that. But unless they've, they've got different plans or there's a coach coming to market, who knows? Maybe D'Antoni shows his face again in New York. <laughs> but <laughs> I highly doubt that. But, uh, yep, we'll watch that space. It's it's, it's just a real interesting scene. Both New York teams, really, even in Brooklyn struggling, but I think they'll they'll get back on track in the next couple of weeks, I think, post-All-Star. Once we get Ben Simmons back on the court and, and um, KD healthy, I think they'll, they'll start rolling again. It'll just be interesting how, how high they get if they get home court and all that kind of stuff. So we'll see that. Enes Cantor, I'm not going to call him by his, his new moniker because <clears throat> I refuse to do that. I still call Ron Artest, Ron Artest. Enes Cantor is nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize, bro. Um, <laughs> I found that real interesting. I'm not sure how you get nominated or how that all goes, but uh, his efforts for calling out um, inhumane practices in China, which which I agree with. Um, you know, whether you agree or disagree with him being a hypocrite or all that kind of stuff is a separate conversation. But <clears throat> the conversation this leads me to is he was just waived by the Rockets after he was traded from the Celtics. Does he ever play in the NBA again, bro? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. It wasn't... My opinion on him being waived right after he got traded wasn't a conspiracy theory because of his thoughts on you know, China or whatnot. Although, although he went to the right team for it, right? With that, well, <laughs> went on with that the Rockets thing in the last year, yeah. year and a half. But like, look, they're a young team. The league is, isn't about what he's about, really. You know, he doesn't defend. He's a 20 and 10 guy. Uh, you know, if you give him enough on, minutes, on a bad 20 team. and 10 guy yeah, for sure. Yeah. He just, yeah, he, he, on a bad team. He doesn't guard anybody. He can't shoot. Um, but he, he could put up numbers. But they're a young team. They've got young kids to give minutes to. I'm not saying he's over the hill, but usually a lot of times when, when you throw players in trades, it's just for like because they make the money work. So they they had no they had no like, you know, ideas of grandeur about this guy leading them into the playoffs, like Akeem Olajuwon. It, he knew they knew it was gonna be a transactional deal. They got him, they gotta wave him, their young guys are gonna play, there's no real spots in the rotation for him. You know, give him a chance to play somewhere else if he wants to. And if they want him, um, but I, I don't think it was anything, you know, I don't think it was any type of JFK second shooter type deal. But um, as far as will he play in the NBA again? Oh, man, never say never. Right. Um, I think a team could sign him. But a like everyone's trying to get younger and, you know, where the league's going. You know, I could see why teams wouldn't want him. And then you got the whole thing about like. You know, look, he's been a little bit loose-lipped about his teams, too. You know, I don't mind if he's calling out China or calling this out, calling that out. But, like, when you start saying, well, they're not playing me because of this, you start getting a little bit nutty. Like, you've been out to see, you know, those cartoons where you've been out to see, you've been out to see for 98 days without eating, and you see everybody that you look at looks like a cheeseburger. He's losing his fucking mind a little bit. He's got to chill a little bit with uh, throwing his own team under the bus if he's not playing. You know, and then everything's conspiracy. But I think he could still play in the league again. Um, I, I would say it's like a 60-40 that he plays in the league again. I think another team, you know, might want a, you know, 10-day, you know, non-guaranteed deal here and there. But 
I don't know, Bogues. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was a conspiracy as to him being traded. I think the money worked. Houston, um, Boston trade money worked. Houston don't need him. They don't need another veteran there that's clogging up minutes. Um, but I will say I think he's done in the NBA. I, I just don't think a team will want to deal with that attention of China. Um, I think they're there's, you know, I don't think there's a a big effort to to blackball him. Like I don't I don't think Adam Silver's having daily meetings about it, but I think there's probably a bit of a unspokenness about it with teams, if that makes sense. So I don't think teams are actively saying, we don't want this guy because he's going to hurt our branding with China. I think it's just known that it, that it will. <laughs> it's just a known known thing. So I don't think it's a conspiracy to that extent, but I just think teams will just be like, you know what? We're a championship team. We don't need that kind of veteran on our bench because he's too outspoken. Or we're a young team. We don't need that veteran because he could cause problems. So I really don't think he, he gets back in the league um, there was, he's already talked about potentially going to sign in Greece and play somewhere else um, although that might be dangerous because that's a little bit closer to Turkey he could disappear Very one close. night um, having a frappe, having a frappe in, uh, in Athens or Thessaloniki but yeah I think I'm, I'm going to go on record I'm, I, I don't think it's 60-40 I think it's I think it's more 80-20-90-10 I think he's out I think he's out of the league pro <laughs> folks you know what's so funny about this political bullshit every fucking Republican Every Republican thought that guy was fucking, you know, Nikola Jokic. You know, oh, he's the greatest player in the league being blackballed, blah, blah, blah. And every Democrat thought he was like fucking Johnny Jokic and thought he was a bum. Like, yeah, yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. Thought, all the Republicans thought it was a conspiracy theorist that he got caught. He's, you know, he's this best player, this and that. And then every Democrat in America would say, nah, he sucks. It's, it's fucking hilarious. Oh, man. It's, it's it just... It- the political side of things just warps people's minds, doesn't it? It's just, um, <laughs> yeah. And we see it. We, we see it every day, so we're not going to talk about it too much. But the touching on that, there was well, obviously would have been a, a, a right leaning or a Republican um, leaning publication. You'd have to Google it, but it said uh, potential Hall of Famer Ennis Cantor blackboard from the NBA. And I saw <laughs> yeah. that, and I was like, <laughs> come on, man! Like I was like, oh, this is. You know that, that that that's a bit much, and then yeah, on the other extreme, it's like he shouldn't even be playing. Did I get it right? Did I get it right? Is the Republicans love yeah. him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hate, so, so yeah, the, okay. the yeah, right okay. side of saying that he's being blackballed for free speech, and and you know, generally the Republicans <laughs> are, are anti-China, and I think everyone for the most yeah. part should be weary of what's going on with China. So that shouldn't be a, a political leaning, but yeah, they went that, and then like you said, the the more left-leaning people. Um, were like, yeah, I shouldn't. He shouldn't even play in the G League. He's terrible. Like he can barely walk in a straight line. You're just like, really? Like, you know, do do, do people hear yourselves? Like it's just ridiculous. So, and and it's generally people that don't follow basketball on both sides that are just like, I heard he was terrible, so he's terrible. Or, I heard he was the best player ever, and now he's blackboard and he can't be right. the best player ever. And you're just like, ah. Oh. But interesting nonetheless. I, I we'll, we'll watch his space. So I'm interested to hear any fans out there. Listeners, let me know if you think he will be back in the NBA anytime soon. Um, maybe we'll call him the Sydney Kings. You know, get our get our chi- Chinese. Yeah, why not? Alienate our one percent Chinese base even further. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how that goes. All right, LeBron. We spoke about this last week, so we'll write on another one, pro. Um, we kind of flagged that uh, – I, I kind of mentioned that I would not be surprised if Cleveland was a prime example, a prime destination for him to end up um, if he's in free agency just, just with everything going on. He's now sent a message out to everybody in the league. I will, uh, you know, I will play for whichever team drafts Bronny. 
So is that tampering, Pro? Question, is that, is that, is that potentially tampering? <laughs> Uh, not with him. Mm. He's he's got he's got he's got a bulletproof vest on for sure. It's, it's, it it's borderline because it is borderline. But story for another day. Anyway, he also said that he's open to return to the Cleveland Cavaliers pro. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out because um, he's still got he's still got some juice left in those legs. Um, and we can't argue with the branding and the presence and the mystique about having LeBron James put on a jersey and whatever potentially small market, big market, whatever, to play with his son, making history, all the attention. I mean, ESPN's just going to be, you know, they're going to have to have so much lotion and tissues on their um, reporting desks every every game for LeBron playing with his son, right? So we'll have to hear about that. Every second minute, they'll probably have some sort of chart on the side of the screen about... Oh, without doubt, without <laughs> like, doubt. Like when they had the, without, when without they had the Heatles with the Miami Heat, I was just like, oh God, like you couldn't even watch it. It was just, it was just overdone too much. But um, yeah, in- interesting anyway. So that solidifies what we spoke about last week. We don't have to get too much into that, but it was interesting to hear LeBron put it out there officially quotable. Zion Williamson could require second surgery on his right foot, bro. Um, now, my people in New Orleans, bro, he has, mm-hmm. he has gone stealth has not been around the club um, for a number of weeks slash months and has shut off all communication, Pro, That's what I'm hearing. So I'm not sure why. I mean, I think he's coming – come, he'll come in for a day or two um, every now and then. They'll, hey, can we come in and at least see your foot? <laughs> we're, the, we're the team that you're employed by. Can you at least come to our facility? And I think he comes in and then you'll see a photo every now and then that he's, you know, everything's normal. But from what I hear behind the scenes, he's not around at all, pro. Um, very concerning, especially if he has to get a, uh, you know, another bout of surgery on his foot. Now, feet, for the smallest of guys, can cause you problems. Um, Zion, not the smallest of guys. And, you know, overweight still, more pressure on that right foot. Uh, it is, I just don't know, this is going to end poorly in New Orleans. It's just a matter of how poorly, in my opinion. Yeah, I heard three beignets places have already went bankrupt since he's uh, ha- since he's gone to Portland and left town. So that's a big uh, hit to the economy as far as the um, you know the fried foods and the in the pastry industry in the New Orleans area. But it's not going to end well. It's it's not, especially if he needs a second surgery on that. Um, I, man, you know, I, I wish he, I hope he does change. But just history has told me with players like this that are overweight, constantly overweight, and getting injury problems, that this is going to be an issue. Like, Blake Griffin had injury issues early on in the year with his career with his knee, but he sort of stabilized it. And, you know, other players have done the same thing, but no one real, not no one that I've seen has had major injuries like this and had a weight problem on top of it. That I mean, that is a killer right there. So... I don't think it's going to end well, especially if he's ghosting them and he's not showing up and he's doing his thing. No one really knows because we're not inside, but your your people are telling you that, you know, if he's going to pull a James Harden with this stuff, it's not it's not going to be. That's, a, that's what it's looking and, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, this, is, this will deteriorate pretty soon. So for people not familiar, the way <clears> – I'd like to get your thoughts on this too, Pro. The way it works with, with injuries and, and whatnot, um, there are some NBA teams that say – Let's say you just did your ACL. They might say, hey, you know, we're happy 
for you to not happy for you, but if you really want to do your rehab in say say you play for New Orleans and you want to do your rehab in LA in a warmer city with some people your agents familiar with teams usually they're not celebrating the fact that you're doing that, but they'll they'll especially if you're a star they'll they'll let you do it. So sometimes teams will I've had teammates that you know. Um, had a, had a I think had a teammate. I think Bobby Simmons, my second season, had plantar, really bad plantar fasciitis issues, and we didn't see him for like five months of the season. He was just in LA. Uh, we, we actually we, we did see him when we played the Clippers and the Lakers, and that was it. <laughs> and he just signed a sixty or forty eight million dollar deal at that point, right? So there's some teams that let you do that. There's some teams that are like under no circumstances are you doing your rehab anywhere else. We're paying your salary. You, you do your shit. You're staying here all summer. Blah 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 blah. What are your thoughts on it, bro? I mean, are you a part of player development? Um, a guy has a medium to long-term injury where he's out at least four to five months, you know, maybe more. Were you okay with guys going, you know, to the, either their home city or to a warmer climate or somewhere else and just get away and do their rehab? Or would you want them around the team still being around the guys, touch and feel, um, and then the, the team monitoring them at all costs or, or, or a hybrid because some guys do that as well. They'll, they'll, they'll you know, go away for two weeks and then come back for two weeks or whatever. What, what are your thoughts on it and what, was, what were you most comfortable with as player development? Well, when I was in Dallas, we had Casey Smith, who in my opinion is probably the best trainer in the league without question as far as like his expertise and, you know, keeping players healthy. So I would definitely like in my opinion would want to go to Casey if the, if if it was you know the decision fell on my on my shoulders say hey what do you think you know first I'd like the especially with a guy like Casey I'd want him around my team you know I'd want him around the team I I wouldn't want him to go off too you know too far a you've got medical experts with your team you know depending on the, the organization of course you know how good or bad they are but if you got people who are the best in their industry like I would want them to do the significant time with them. It depends on what the injury is too, but it's like if it's like you're out for the year and the, the medical guy goes, look, it really doesn't matter. We could start the rehab here and then we could ship him to LA or wherever he wants to go. But if it's somewhere where it's going to be a couple months or what have you, like be around the team, be around your you know teammates. If you want to take three days here and there to go wherever, or if you want to visit family or what have you, that's fine. But I think I would rather them around my team. I, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want them to just to go somewhere else. Because what does that say about your team, your 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 medical staff or your training staff? Like it depends though, because like Casey was so good. When I was in Boston, we had Edward Cert, who was unbelievable. You know, training staff in Boston. So you know, I guess it depends. I, I had so much sort of confidence in what Casey could do and keeping people health, keeping people healthy, that I'd want him to stay. But it depends on the organization, folks. What 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 would you want? Like as a player, you probably want to go wherever. But do you think you'd want to stay? Like ha, ha, on your end of things, what what do you? Think? Yeah, I think. Look, if it's a long term, you know, an injury where you're playing well, something happens, you're out for the rest of the season. Um, I think the mental health thing is is definitely something that you factor in. Um, you know, so you know, or you're in a contract year or whatever it is, right? And it just you can tell it's just flawed. You know, it was kind of like me with my elbow. It just floored me. I stuck around, but it floored me, man, because I was a career year individually with my numbers, playing really well, finally got the team back to the playoffs in Milwaukee. And then it was tough mentally for me, really tough. So I understand the mental health side of it. Um, so, But I think I think the hybrid one is, is good. So, you know, hey, we're not going to make the playoffs anyway or, hey, you know, we know this is tough for you. Go take a month. 
Um, because usually, usually the first month or two of a serious injury where you're out long term, you're not doing anything, right? It's either you're either cast it up. Mm-hmm. Let's say you broke your ankle, you cast it up. They're making sure nothing else splints off the bone, and then it's probably surgery after that or whatever it is. So I'm cool with the, the hybrid approach. I mean, the the, the mm-hmm. questions are trust, right? So there's there's some athletes out there that will they do their rehab properly, <laughs> right? Um, if you're if you're not under the nose of your training staff and they're monitoring you at least once a week, at least every couple of days, and you know, as we know, pro, there's some players out there where their their, their trainer is their boy or their trainer is their cousin or their uncle or a guy who was just oh. running a restaurant or whatever it was, right? That's where you got to be careful. So, do you trust your player that they're, they're professional? Now, there's some guys that you know, like Matt Delavadova. You know this kid's going to do whatever you tell him. He's going to do it and do it twice a day, right? You know that. You know when, when you could you could put him in Siberia and not see him for a year. You know he's going to follow his rehab to a T. Then there's other guys that you're like, uh, I might just flake on my rehab today, or I might be late, or you know what I mean. So. That plays a factor for teams as well, and that's what stresses teams out a lot too. He's like, "Are you really doing everything you say you are?" Because we don't want you to come back and then you know your other ACL goes or your other Achilles goes because you didn't rehab properly. So I think the hybrid approach, but I think um, it's it's tough. I mean, sometimes for your mental health, it's better being around the team um, rather than just in a in a foxhole in in a city by yourself. Um, some players like that better. Some players don't. Some players want to be around family. Some, you know, it's just it's a hybrid. I think approach for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I think um, you know, being around the team. It, it, the other thing is, it can be hard. Say you have a season-ending injury and you're with the team in season. Who takes precedence in that? It's the players that are playing, that are fit and healthy. So that's the other problem. Sometimes guys that are in long rehab bouts. They probably don't feel like they're getting as much attention, and rightfully so. You're hurt because a trainer's got to get through the f- first fifteen players, get them ready, taped up, strapped up, you know, ice. So then you either come super early before that, or usually it's after that, and then the trainer might be worn out. You know what I mean? So then there's that that plays a part as well, right? Where you don't you don't feel like you're probably getting enough enough in as you should. Um, mm-hmm. because they're in season now. The off season's a different story. So I, I think a hybrid approach is fair, but I mean. To be able to, to to do what Zion's reportedly doing and and just go right, you know, go go quiet, go stealth, and not be in communication with an injury that's pretty serious, with now potentially going into surgery, uh, not good, and being the franchise guy. So, I think they've done well in getting some insurance in McCollum. Um, I really do. I think you know at least they've got something still left as a core if Zion does flake and not play again for him and, and end up moving. So. That'll be interesting to watch in itself, even if he was healthy. Yeah, I think it's something too, Bogues, that I think communication is the best thing. Get everybody in a room, the agent, the player, the medical staff, the coach, the general manager, and talk it out. And I think that he, they definitely need to spend a lot of time around the team, around the team personnel. But have I think as a, as a player, I think you have to have the open mind. Of, okay, look, they've got millions of dollars riding on me, especially a franchise player. They got millions of dollars riding on me. The franchise is basically riding on me of my and my health. I got to sort of at least listen to what they have to say. On the team standpoint, depending on how long the injury is and who the player is, you got to say, okay, look, like, what do you think is best for the player? Let's listen to their thoughts as far as what they want to do a little bit. You know, let's try to like make some compromises, but not a lot. Not that something that's going to risk 
like setbacks in his, you know, in his body or his diet or his workload. Like we need to monitor that. And it's, it's good to be in the city, but look, you've got millions of dollars riding on this kid, especially this kid. It's not like it's, you know, it's not like somebody like, you know, you know, it's not like it's, I don't know, Tony Snell or something. It's, you know, it's a guy who's going to be carrying the bacon, you know, carrying everything on this organization, you know, carrying the whole team. Bringing home the bacon, is that, I think that's the term I was going to say. But, like, I think you have to get in a room and you have to figure it out and talk to each other. I don't think you should jam something down someone's throat on this is what you're doing and that's it. But I think that you have to, as an organization, you have to cover your bases. You have to cut, make sure that you're doing the best thing for the player. And then the players got to understand that, look, you know, they got to give me a little bit of leeway when I can, but I have to listen to what they say. I mean, they're the medical staff. That's the problem, though, folks. The same thing with the Kawhi Leonard thing and some of these other people who lost faith in their organization's medical team. When you do that and you're not and you think that they're not, you know, they're not capable. That's when there's a big problem. Sort of what Donovan Mitchell and the Utah medical staff. That's why the medical staff isn't there anymore. Like what happened to them last year? You know, with the injury stuff in the in the in the in the playoffs. Like when they lose faith in you, you're done. So like you got at least. I think you have to present it to a way that you know what you're doing. The best ca- this is the best case for the player. And if there's any concessions to be, be made for the player, we'll do it. But we got to protect our player. We got to protect the asset. Totally agree. We'll see how that all goes in New Orleans. Hopefully they can get it back on track. All right, James Harden forgets to file his paperwork for his extension pro. Forgets in quotation marks. Yes. Will be a free agent um, in the offseason. Now, pro, give me a conspiracy theory. Is this an accident? No chance. No fucking What is it, a 40, $40 million forget or $50 million forget? Oops. It, yeah, oops. Yeah, there's no chance. It's, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you know, you could, you know, you could say whatever you want. There's no way that this is a forget. This is a $46.9 million forget. <laughs> no fucking chance. I don't know who James Harden's agent is these days, but there's no fucking Chance, $47 million. So look, it's, you know, it's smart. Look, if he, you know, when I heard it, I was like, there's no chance. I know why he did it because A, he could still sign the thing in June if he wants to. And now he's got an out. If things are fucked up, he can go. Um, he, he could become an unrestricted free agent. If things go well, you're like, ah, fuck, I forgot. No doubt. I'll sign this in June and we're good. Or they could just sign their, his extension. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. What do you think, both? Oh, you know, he didn't forget. <laughs> well, the fact that the media even printed that without, like, grilling him on it is <laughs> hilarious in itself. Um, yeah, you're not, you're not forgetting a $50 million extension, um, which is interesting because he, you know, reportedly was all in at all costs to go to Philly. Why wouldn't you at least commit another year? Um, very, very strange. Maybe maybe thinks, can he get an extra year maybe? Uh, can he get? No. no. He can't? No. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think it's just, um, be, wait a minute. See, I don't think they, I don't think they have his bird rights. I, I'm almost positive they don't have it, you know, because he signed a short-term deal in mm-hmm. Brooklyn. You know, he was only there, what, one year in Brooklyn. Although, wait a minute, they acquired him a trade, so they, I think they acquired his yeah. bird rights. So, yeah, they have his bird rights. So maybe, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure, but maybe they could, they could sign into an extension. I'm not sure on this. 
I'm not a calf guy, but they could do the extension, I guess. But um, yeah, I think he's just sort of keeping his options open just in case. Yeah, in case Embiid goes down, has another long-term injury, he'll just jump ship again. <laughs> just go to the next. Yeah, and that's the thing. When he saves these all-in, it's like dating a stripper. I mean, <laughs> you know, like you don't expect a stripper to not cheat on you, right? Like, you know, it's like you take somebody, you know, it's like you want to marry somebody who's cheated on their last three husbands. I mean, you know, you just don't know. Like, and, and look, I get it. Like, he, he doesn't want to be trapped in a place that he doesn't think it's best for him. But... As an organization, it's tough to trust that. But Daryl Morey loves that guy. Like we, I've talked about it a thousand times. So he loves the guy. He has total trust that if there's a, a championship to be won in Philly, that it's going to run through James Harden. Probably more than Embiid, although he will never say that. But he'll trust James Harden more than he does Embiid just because of his prior relationship with him and like what he's done for him in Houston. And there's no Daryl Morey if there's no James Harden. So, yeah, like I think, they're all in on him and they're just going to go forward with it. But it's tough to, when a guy like that says he's all in, you know, it's, it's like when a stripper says, I love you, honey. And it doesn't matter how much you take, you know, I mean, come on, you can't trust that. Can I'm interested to see if there's any frustrations. I doubt there will be, but if Embiid's numbers significantly drop because of touches and usage in, in what's potentially an MVP year for him with James back, that's going to be interesting too. And that's interesting, Bogues. You're right. I didn't think of yeah, that. Yeah, because he's going to lose touches. Um, I mean, he could potentially be similar to what he's doing, but he's not going to get the, the usage with James, you know, the, the, the step back, step back between the legs, cha-cha-cha, that you always um, quote. I mean, it, will there be a frustration there with Joel probably missing out? Because he could potentially miss out. Like, if he has a bad... Not a bad, but has lower numbers than he's had up to up to now in in, in March and April because of because the usage of James and then Jokic overtakes him, even you know arguably more than he is now, um, and he loses an MVP race. I just wonder if that'll that'll go down well there. We'll we'll see. That's human nature and what you have to deal with. All right, Adam Silver. This is quote pro. Players wishing to switch teams whilst under contract is not good for the NBA. <laughs> you think? Well. That's a that's a profound statement. Does he right realize he's the commissioner? Yeah. <laughs> like, you're, yeah. You're, the, you're the guy. You're the guy that can fix this. <laughs> like, go go look at a mirror. You're the guy that can fix it. You, you can put in all kinds of rules and negotiate a, a new C, in, in your CBA and, you know, sit with the owners and figure this out and sit with the unions. You're the guy that can figure it out. So given that quote in the media was interesting to me because it's, it's just a nothing quote. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's not good. Not good. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I wonder I wonder if they'll try to fix it or if we'll get another quote in two years' time saying, yep, I told you it was bad. We, You know, but I didn't fix it, but it, it, it was bad. I'm quoted as saying that two years ago. I think enough owners are in his ear right now that I think this is where it starts. It starts with a quote, and then he'll be like, all right, you know, we got to try to do something with this. I don't think he'll put his foot down. We well, never has on anything. he'll try to... Yeah, not on the, yeah, and not on when it comes to player, you know, money in players' pockets for sure. But I think that he's going to have to put his foot down a little bit and just make some concessions. I don't think it's going to go totally 180 on the on the whole free agency force trade thing. Um, but it'll be interesting to see where he goes. Yep. We'll see. All right. Final little tidbit. I'm giving some quote love to Jared Allen, pro. Um, he was at the he was oh. at the Rising Stars game, you know, because he's an all-star, obviously. So they go to some of the events and they sit courtside. He was getting – he was copying shit because of his outfit, bro. I think he just wore a nice set of jeans and a hoodie 
Um, nothing extravagant, very, very casual. And you know how most guys go to all-star games these days. Um, by the way, did you see James Harden's outfit the last Philly game? He looked like a character from Game of Thrones. Somebody told me about it. I haven't <laughs> seen go it. Go watch it. Go and, go and find a photo. Hilarious. But anyway, so yeah, Jared Allen didn't wear anything extravagant. And I guess the media asked him about, you're getting, you get some hate online, you know, what are you wearing, blah, blah, blah. And he just wrote, I thought I looked all right. And he said, what am I supposed to do? Wear a $5,000 chain? Um, so he's gone up in my book just for that very quote because he, he is himself and he's not trying to be something that he's not. So I really, really respect that. And, and it's kind of the way he plays basketball, to be honest with you, bro. Yeah, no, I like him. He's, you know, he's just sort of does his thing. He doesn't really care. He's pretty low-key for an all-star type player. You, you would think you would hear more from him and, and all that, but I like it. I like the jeans and, uh, you know, hooded sweatshirt look. But I mean... If there's another rule that has to be put in books, they've got to do something with dress code, man. I mean, some of the shit, some of the extravagant shit that you see, like, and not in a good way extravagant, they got to do something. No, I mean, they won't, but, like, it's getting a little out of hand with some of the stuff that's worn, you know, worn on the sideline. Yeah, you, know? you got to express yourself, pro. You have to express yourself. Yeah, some of the stuff's, some of the stuff's ridiculous and... I mean, each to their own. I'm not gonna. I'm not a fashionista, so I was always told when I was giving guys shit about their dumb outfits that uh, you don't know nothing about fashion, bro. And I'm like, yeah, I know that shit though. <laughs> I know what if you're wearing doesn't look good. So I used to have. I used to banter a lot with uh, Festus Azili because he he had like a, you know, one of the a lot of players have, um, you know, fashion people that put together outfits for him and. A few times he came came to games in some wild shit, um, so I'd give him shit and they'd just say, you know, the, the old Australian veteran, you know, what do you know about fashion? And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right, but at the same time I know enough that's that's bad. I don't like it. So I'm- I mean, it looks like a bad Zoolander movie sometimes, seeing the shit that they got on. <laughs> it's uh, pretty fucked up. And it's up. literally, hey. for those, not like I said, what I just said is true. It's literally a, f- a fashionista, fashion designer, fashion company in LA or New York and they send players <clears throat> seven outfits for a week and they'll be actually boxed individually per day with every item you're meant to wear together. So it'll be uh, you wear this shirt with these pants, with these this belt, with a bow tie and this this blazer and then wear this watch. And it's just like And they give and they give them money for that. Not only shitload the of money. Stuff, but they give well, it's not money free stuff. Right? They're paying for yeah. the clothes for the most part. I mean, there's some the big time stars, maybe LeBron and whatnot. They they be getting that shit for free because a designer would love to have them promote it. But there's a lot of guys they pay right. for that as a service. Um, so not only are you paying for the clothes, you're paying for this person to tell you what to wear and what goes well together. Uh, I get it to an extent. Or you get to the interior designing and furniture. That there is a you know a skill in that to an extent. But I mean, I was just more simple, man. Like I just put together, you know, a pair of jeans, a nice T-shirt, you know, nice tight-fitted T-shirt and a watch and I thought I looked all right. Um, but, yeah, I couldn't – I just couldn't come to grips with paying you to tell me what to wear and then paying you a fee for that on top of the expensive clothes that you're overcharging me for as well. I was just like, nah, I can't do that. Not me. But that's, that's how it works. Um, a lot of the NBA players do that. So when you see those funky outfits – a lot of them aren't even picking it themselves, which is just mind-boggling. They're, they're writing a check for 10K and, and not picking it themselves, bro, which, you know, each to their own, bro. That's, that's the way we're going. And just to finish this off, I spoke about Jay Sean Tate. I looked it up. His contract, he, he's in that um, suicide three-year scenario, bro. He has a, a team, a team yeah. option next season at $1.782 million. Now, I hope they might 
go into a negotiation this off season? Um, no, you don't hey, think? No fucking chance. That slice of pizza or the nine of them that I had before the show had a better chance of negotiating me not eating it than them saying, "Oh no, we've got you on this twenty-seven year <laughs> deal for minimum salary." But we're gonna give you nine million because no, 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 no. But what I'm saying is, probably uh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be better suited for them if if they if this is if they really like who he is as a guy, as a player, they love him, the organization. Wouldn't it make sense to opt out of the team option? Well, you have the negotiation before, but you say, hey, we're gonna opt you out if if you sign this extension, or if you so we'll opt out and then we'll resign you for a four year, thirty, whatever it is. So so it kind of stops him going to open market. Um, obviously, there is the risk, the Carlos Boozer risk, that <laughs> they decline yeah. the option and he goes somewhere else. But wouldn't that be a conversation they should have if they want to keep him? Um, or you just think it just won't happen at all? Because there's some risk that he could play even better next season and then his value goes up even more for him. This is true. This is true. But I think that you got to understand who you're dealing with. It's not a Carlos Boozer or Gilbert Arena situation. He's a good player. But I don't think he, in my opinion, only in my opinion, I don't think he's going to like be a max player or anything like that. Like even if he plays out of his mind, I mean, just for the players they got on their roster, there's, I don't think there's any way that he could really get up to that. My opinion only, but now they've got him under like a very low deal, obviously. So what it'll mess up their cap stuff. If they like, if they want to go after somebody now, so they could keep him on hold, you know, sign their people and then get his bird rights. And then sign them to a long-term deal, and it doesn't really – it can go over the cap to sign them. So right now, I think if you do it before somebody that you have their bird rights for, that um, you can't really go over the cap. You just got to do it in cap room. So right now, they're really – if they did that, that's just more money that ate away at their cap that they could sign with somebody mm-hmm. else. And then once they get their cap rights, his bird rights, then they could do it. Most of these guys, folks, we had a bunch of them in Dallas. You know, Brunson was under a four-year deal. Dorian Finney-Smith was under a three-year deal. Like, they, 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 it doesn't matter. They just keep them. And Daryl Morey sort of started that in Houston, where he just started signing guys to long-term minimum deals where, like, guaranteed them 100 grand, three, four-year uh, contracts, only guaranteed them 100 grand. And then, depending on what time of the year it is, then some other options um, sort of like, all right, yeah, they kick in and then, you know, if you're on the roster at this date, the next year you're guaranteed a hundred grand more. This and it goes up. So yeah, I don't think so. I think the team's going to keep him where he is, and then keep their cap flexibility, and then just take the hit at the end. If they, you know, if he's worth say he's worth eight million dollars now, just say, and then he plays much better, and now it's at fifteen. Like I would much rather take the seven million dollar hit and sign somebody else, and then add him to it rather than keep me from signing Gotcha, yeah, makes sense. Him. Yeah, just gives you some flexibility. Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. All right, <laughs> NBL, Melbourne United still rolling the 10-4. In, they're in first place. Uh, they have a big fellow there named Joe Luala Chul. Now, he was he was a backup when um, I was still playing, and then he was a backup last season, a jock. But he is, he is balling. He is a potential MVP candidate. Um, 17.5 and 9.8 rebounds, 17.5 points, 56% from the field. So I had to give him a shout out because he's having a very, very good year and just continues to get better and better and better and better. So shout out to him. Sydney Kings are coming pro with, with four straight wins. Big scalp last night versus the Perth Wildcats at home. Bias aside, 
it was one of the best back and forth games I've, I've seen in the NBL this season. It was fantastic. Game of runs. Kings came out of the gates. Um, really good first quarter. We usually play real well in the first quarter and then in a poor second quarter, Perth came back. Third and fourth quarters were neck and neck the whole way. It's a really, really fun game. Um, for those of you who haven't watched it, if you can catch a replay online, it is worth watching. It was a very, very fun game. Came down to, to, to basically the final shot. So that was really, really cool. Southeast Melbourne, a bit of trouble there, Pro. Um, now, their head coach, I kind of mentioned this in passing, not on the podcast. Oh, maybe I did, actually, but, um, in the NBL preview, but that uh, their coach is big on on um, on showing on ball screens, Pro. He, he doesn't like to... Doesn't like to do anything else but either an aggressive show to a double, a, a hard show, a hedge. He likes to be up to touch it on all ball screens. Um, and when they signed Joe Chi, the Chinese guy, I was like, "How is this going to work?" You know, he's not a he's not a show guy. He's slow footed, and his strength is you know blocking shots at the rim. So you, you got to kind of you know, cater your defense towards that. Well, last game looks as though he got benched. Um, only played twelve minutes. A uh, bit of foul trouble, but. I, I've started to notice a trend that they're starting to move away from from him in portions of games where they really want to get stops because now I'm I'm not sure if Simon Mitchell, head coach there, is comfortable coaching bigs in a drop. Now that's an art form in itself. You got to have a good defensive system. All the players around you need to be adept to, to knowing that hey, we've got a big in a drop. I need to really chase over and really make sure I run the guard off the three into the big. Um, and I don't think he's comfortable or knows how to coach that. So I think this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. Joe Cheese now somewhat looks like he's in the doghouse in phases of games, and, and it's a shame because they've got a great talent and offensive end that I just don't think is going to be there. So just an interesting one for Southeast Melbourne Phoenix fans out there to see see how that plays out, Pro. But um, as you know, it is if, if you don't know how to coach that drops or you've never really had that as your team defense, it's not as easy as just saying, hey, big guy, you just stand under the rim. Yeah, you know, Bogues, it's tough because, in my opinion, I think you have to be able to coach your system around your players, not your players around your system, in, in the sense that if you have a player that actually has a lot of talent at your level and could really help you, you've got to try to keep them on the floor. Look, you've been coaching. Yeah, he's been coaching, I'm sure, for a while. And he's not comfortable coaching it, that style. But if you have somebody that could really help you like that on the offensive end, that's the kid that was in um, Houston, right? The, the, the shooter, like the, the pick and pop. He could pick and pop, you know, skilled kid from China. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you got a guy who could help you on the floor like that on the offensive end to keep him on the uh, – keep him off the floor, like – I, it's different if you're like you're Dwight Howard, you can't make free throws, right? And, and, and you're such a, a liability with free throws and you got to get them off the floor. Or, you know, we talked about different ty- types of centers and things like that. But I don't know, man. If you, you got, you can't coach, I don't know. In my opinion, keep them on the floor and just put them in a drop in those situations. But if you're going to put the kid in the doghouse only for that, that you know he can't really guard up to touch, which no one's really doing that on a regular basis anyway. It's just tough for me to understand. Well, just historically, their their team was a real up to touch team for the last two years. That's where they had success, and it just seems like that's the way he likes to coach. He doesn't, and, and like I said, it's not. It's you really have to teach it drops. It's not as easy as just saying put the big fella under the bucket. There's and, and there's ways to you know there's drops that can be up to touch early. 
into a retreat drop, right? So there's different types of drops. For those not familiar, that means that, you know, if, if my guy's going to set a ball screen, a drop means that I'm not I'm not up. I'm just kind of waiting for the guard to dribble into me. But then there's ways of maybe sometimes I follow my my big up to the screen and I'm showing my numbers at the three and then I then I retreat. You know, there's different ways to do it and, and that comes down to coaching. So I think he, there's, there's probably a little bit of maybe, maybe he just doesn't have enough confidence that he's done that before and falls back to what he's confident in, which is the show. So it'll be interesting to watch this space because the NBL obviously want – Joe Chi to do as well as they can because of the, the Chinese market and everything that comes with all that. Um, and if he, he starts getting 10 to 12 minutes a game, it's not going to be good um, for, for that. So it'll be interesting to see how that all goes. But the coach is paid to to win games and, and do what he thinks is, is good for his team. So just a small note for everyone out there watching those games. So we will um, we'll see how it goes. Folks, it's interesting though, like why the GM wouldn't have spoken to him and say, look, can he play your style? Can you play, you know, I don't want to get you in trouble for talking about your league like that. I don't know if any rule against it, but like, in my opinion, if I was a GM, I'd probably have a conversation with the coach that, look, this is who we're going to acquire. Can you play in your system fully? You know, cause I want to maximize the talent of the kid. But if, if you're not going to play him, let's just not sign him and we'll sign somebody that's more, cause if you trust, you know, a lot of GMs wouldn't care. At least in the NBA, they would just say like, we're going to sign this guy cause he's too good. But, like, I'm just surprised that they didn't have that conversation. Like, you know, look, this is who he is. We know what he can and can't do. Can he fit this system so we can go forward with it? Or are we just going to go to someone else? It's a little strange. We know what he can do. He can he can pay the coach's salary in marketing alone, pro. <laughs> no, so I think that's yeah, definitely that's a factor. I'm, that's why I'm not working. But that's, that's definitely a factor. And if it sounds stupid, and but it's brutally honest. You know, there, there are there – are, foundation club that only started a couple of years ago so they're trying to build their fan base and I know for a fact that as soon as that that you know Joe Chi signed there they they sold a shitload of courtside boxes and, and courtside seats to the Chinese market in Australia um, that paid top dollar for them so um, I think that's a factor as well it's like well yeah maybe he doesn't fit our system well but he does fit our bank account well where we can actually you know, not being the minus at the end of the season. And that plays a part, unfortunately. It's part of, it's part of the business. So, yeah, I think they would have had that conversation to an extent, but I think it was probably more a business decision outside of the coach's wants in this one if I was a, a betting man. But uh, we'll watch that space. All right, stats useful and useless. DeMar DeRozan in my sights this week. He's broken Wilt Chamberlain's record, Pro, for the most consecutive games with 35-plus points on a 50% shooting or better. Um, so we'll go through them real quick. You had 38, 38 points on 59%, 40 points on 67%, 38 points on 50%, 35 points on 64%, 36 points on 68%, 38 points on 59%, and 45 points on 60%. Useful or useless, bro? Useful as hell. I mean, that's a hell of a run. Uh, you know, you're just not going to be any you know buddy off the street doing that. That's pretty impressive. And it's a guard, bro. That's pretty. It's impressive. a guard. That that's yeah. that's the most impressive thing out of this. Will Chamberlain, for the most part, shot layups, dunks, offensive rebounds, worked in the paint for the most part. Demar Derozan arguably takes what everyone considers analytically the worst shot in basketball, pull up twos, turnaround twos, but he's an absolute maestro in that area, fadeaways, both shoulders, like really, really good at 18, 19, 20 feet, even closer. But to do this as a guard, bro, that that's what that's what is alarming to me. I mean, to shoot those kind of numbers, um, he's, he's brought the three in as well, starting to shoot that a little bit more from time to time. He's not going to fill those down again, but those those numbers are insane to beat. And, and, and you know, Wilt, 
has many, many other records that will stand for a long, long time. But to, to get one of Wilt's, I think to me, is uh, is useful. So well done to DeMarta Rosen on that one. All right, the Nuggets are outscoring opponents by 15.3 points per 100 possessions when Nikola Jokic is on the court. They are outscored by 5.4 points when he's off the court. That is a 20.7 on-off net rating. Um, it is the highest in the NBA. And Jokic obviously is the most league's the league's most impactful player. Just to give you some context around the on-off net rating for other MVP candidates, Steph, 15.0, Giannis, 12.5, DeMar DeRozan, 10.9, MB, 10.7, CP3, 6.3. And Jokic is at 20.7 pro, useful or useless? Useful as hell. Mm-hmm. Useful as hell. I mean, the guy is, I mean, for that team, he he's the most valuable player to his team. Maybe... Luka Doncic might be, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, you gave me the numbers. He's not, but like, you know, I, I think with, I think with Jokic's full team with Murray and Porter and those guys healthy, um, I think that maybe that goes down a little bit as far as like his impact if if without him versus with him. But I think it's useful as hell. I mean, I think that he he is what that team goes around. I mean, there's no one that could really carry. Carry the load like that guy can. I, I think definitely useful. Yeah, useful, useful, useful as can be. He's um, a dominant force. That that disparity of you know twenty odd points with him off the floor difference from from minus five to plus fifteen um, with the roster right now that is not a great roster. Like I said, you you remove um, Jokic from that roster, I don't think they're even a playing team. As of as of right now, with with Murray and Porter out, of course, um, I don't think they're. I think they're very. Li- they'll be very lucky to get a nine ten seed. And, and like my argument I made last week, the week before, I still think some of these other teams with MVP candidates would still somewhat be in the mix for a playoff slash playing game. So that that tells me a lot. And he's he's carrying a team that that is not not great and not filled with a lot of talent to, to still being very competitive every night. So. Congratulations to, to Jokic on those mind-boggling numbers. Useful. Last one. The Heat have drawn 82 charges this season, Pro. The next team has 44. Useful, useless. Useful. It just tells you how much, you know, dedication to defense and, you know, grinding teams out and playing hard knows that, that you know, that Miami Heat is. You know, Spolster, unbelievable coach, and those guys are sort of, you know, they're uh, system oriented, probably the best system oriented team in the whole league. So I, I would say it's useful. It's my first. I think it's the first uh, across the board sweep hat trick. Uh, yeah, I would yeah. say useful yeah. as well. I would say useful as well. And I do have Kyle Lowry, who is always in the top three or four in charges taken. Do you think it is more aimed towards the fact that they have players that like taking charges, or do you think it's like you just said, the fact that Miami really try to emphasize grind out type defense, or is it is it uh, probably a mix? Like we're going to recruit guys that fit this system. Uh, I would say eighty twenty. I would say eighty twenty to yep. player. I think um, I think in, well, just like if you're good or if you're bad, it all depends if your players are good or bad. Um, I think system has about ten percent to do with it. You know, fifteen percent top. So no, I think it's mostly because of the players they have. Let's be honest, they've got. You know, they've got types of players that, you know, that sort of fit that mold of, you know, players that, you know, Jimmy Butler, Lowry, Morris, you know, like guys like that. You know, Bam's been like that. You know, we talked to Lowry. Uh, we talked about Lowry already. So, you know, maybe not necessarily like a Tyler Hero yet, but, 
you know, I think most of the other guys are sort of like that. You know, they're in they're into that type of play and probably the the you know, the bench guys that they have that they've gone undrafted or they picked up off the street, that they know that that the only way to survive there is a way to play that way. But I think most of the players that are frontline minute guys, I think that they have already been like that. What what do you think, both? No, I, I totally agree. Um, I think it's you got to recruit the players that want to do that because you know there's no point. There's no point getting players in that. Hey, we need to take more charges, and the guy's taken one charge in like five years. You know, so um, I think they they definitely do a good job of recruiting guys that fit their system, and they they obviously implement that, and it's a priority for them. Um, I know some guys that have played there, and they say, look, it is it is an army like type system day to day there they, they practice a hell of a lot um, they're very demanding of, of, of their players compared to most NBA teams and I guess that's why they've, they've pretty much had a very good bout of sustained success over the last 20-30 years like I said a couple of weeks ago they, they had about two or three years where they were really bad um, win loss wise when, when D-Wade was hurt and they were transitioning um, but for the most part they're always always in the mix which is which is great yeah I totally I totally agree with that I totally agree with that what you got for us this week Folks, fact or fake news, on a good side, Cleveland Cavaliers have been the biggest surprise in the first half of the NBA season as far as how they're doing right now, as far as like being a surprise good team. A fact or fake Yeah, fact. Fact, 100%. I I don't even know if I had them in my mix. I think I had them fringe or or barely in my mix, but they're they're doing a fantastic job. Um, We mentioned Jared Allen, guys buying into roles, a, a good... A good bout of, of of youth and veterans. They bring in Rondo and, and Kevin Love's revitalized a little bit. Um, he's had a nice little resurgence where he's had some big games for him off the bench. Um, there's there's a there's a joy in the way they play, and I think that's the biggest thing. That it looks like they enjoy playing together. They don't win every game. What are they? Thirty five and twenty three at this point. They're fourth in the East. So as of today, that look they are in a lock, a three way lock. Three, four, five, which is Milwaukee, Cleveland, and Philly. So they should be in that mix. I doubt they drop below five, which is Boston, who's two games behind that lot. And yeah, I think they just have that joy back. Um, they have a nice system. They're well coached. They play well together. Um, and I'm excited to see where where they build from here. Um, and yeah, I'll continue to continue to watch the success. So I think that's uh, that's definitely fact, bro. Yeah, I say it's fact as well. I think a close second, but not as close as the Minnesota Timberwolves at 31 and 28. They've been playing very well, seven out of the last 10, and really competing and fighting. But Cleveland, I mean, has a legit chance not only to finish in the top four, um, not only to finish in the top four, but also possibility of winning a playoff series. Not sure if they will, but they definitely, I mean, they definitely have a lot of momentum going towards. So I would say it's fact. I'd say they're the biggest surprise. Um, heading to All-Star break for sure. Yep. Folks, our guy, Josh Giddy, is the hottest, basketball speaking, of course, because I know you called me on this before, is the hottest player, hottest rookie heading into All-Star break right now. Fact. Yeah, I think he's uh, – someone posted something, um, his month-on-month stats since since the start of the season, and it's just like better, 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 better. Um I think he should be closer. What is his third right now in rookie of the year voting, or not voting the um, the poll that they do all season? They got Mobley one, um, Scotty Barnes two. Look, I think he overtakes Scotty Barnes right now. I really do. I think he's having a hell of a run. Um, really, you know, what do you have? Four triple doubles um, so far to date. 
Um, he's had two or three in the last couple of weeks. Um, his performance in New York the other night was huge, albeit it was against the Knicks, but hey, you can only play what's in front of you. So um, I'm excited by Josh Giddy. I think he'll go, you know, he's going to go down as one of our greatest ever um, Australian basketball players. And yeah, he's, he's putting it all together and he's just never seems like he's in a panic. I think um, the three ball has surprised me, as I'm sure it would you. That was probably the one question mark. I mean, he's not shooting it at a fantastic clip, but he's shooting it and he's shooting it confidently. And and he's had some games where he's three for four, three for five. So that they're really good signs um, because we thought that, you know, he would be Rondo like like Rondo was early in his career where it's like blatant unders the whole game. And But even when they go under, he's just got so much size and he's pretty qu- deceivingly quick for his size that he gets to his spot when he wants, wherever he wants to get. He's got those nifty little hooks. He's got floaters. He can get on the rim. He uses the rim really well to protect himself when he's in the lane against shot blockers. And most of all, he just picks the, the, the defense apart in pick and roll coverage. Like So people that watch the game don't just watch the stats. Watch what he does off pick and rolls where a lot of times he won't get the assist, but he'll make – he knows where the rotation's overcommitted from and he gets that person the ball and then it might be a swing, 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 wide open three. He does just such a fantastic job of it. Very poised player for his age. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing him get even better. He'll be an NBA All Star eventually. It's just a matter of when. And but yeah, I hope I hope he, he can get that Rookie of the Year first. But I've I've got him probably at two below Mobley right now. And I will say if he continues on his month to month trajectory that he that he has been the last couple of months where he gets better and better, I think he should be the Rookie of the Year, bro. He's an unbelievable shooter. He's just not an unbelievable maker. Of course, he's only shooting 26.7 percent from three, but he is shooting it, like you said. He's got total confidence there. I think Oklahoma City does just, you know, as good as anyone else in the, in, in the league at developing players. I mean, they're already great evaluating and drafting. They've been uh, off the charts since Sam Presti's been there. I've said it a million times. He's, in, in my opinion, the top GM in the league. But now they just, you know, they're, they're trying to put t- players around him. You know, they got obviously um, Gilgis Alexander around him. You know, they've got a bunch of good role players. But now they're just trying to sort of figure things out. And I think it's just, you know, you sort of just got to get used to it. And I think he's used to it now. You know, he'll hit his rookie wall like every rookie does. But I think that he's, you know, he's playing comfortable. They don't put a lot of pressure on him. He's in Oklahoma City. He's in a small market. That's the best thing about being in a small market team with very little expectation as far as how the team's going to do because they know they're in a rebuild. And and they've told him he doesn't have to average 20, you know, 25 and 25 and 9. You know, he could average... I think he's averaging something like 12 and 12, seven and seven, 12, seven and six. And, you know, his passing ability is, un, you know, is phenomenal size and his ability to pass. And then they'll, they'll, they'll get a lot more talent around him as the years go on. And I think he'll be there for a long time. And, you know, I think he could, he could help you win. And that's not a lot of players can impact winning. And I think he could definitely impact winning. His shooting will definitely get better. I, I don't think he'll let, you know, he won't end up being Larry Bird or anything, but he'll be a good, I think, in my opinion, that he'll get up to 35% probably in the next two years. You, you, you'll see him make a big jump, maybe three. He'll, he'll get up to that 35% mark, which is about average. I think 36 and a half is about average. I think he'll be good. I think he is the hottest rookie going in. Um, he's had some unbelievable nights in the last, you know, four or five games. In the last 10, he's averaging, you know, I think he's averaging something like, you know, 16 and, 16 and nine and seven assists. So I think he's really coming into his own. And I think confidence, as you know, Bogues, you know, besides talent, 
you know, confidence is your biggest weapon and ally as an NBA player. And I think he has it, in my opinion, without knowing him or having any information. It just seems like he's playing very confidently. So, yeah, I think he's that. Beautiful. All right, last one, folks. The Lakers. Now, we talked about Cleveland being the biggest surprise in the good end. The Lakers are the biggest underachievers in the first half of the NBA season. Fact or oh, beyond fact. Yeah, the, the, the talent they have on that roster, we knew it wasn't. It wasn't a great fit. We've been quoted as saying that, um, but they should be better than where they're at. Um, yeah, I, I would say fact. And on top of that, I'll, it's uh, the other one is the Knicks. So the two biggest markets in the NBA, I think, are the biggest underachievers in the, in the first half of the NBA season, bro. So fact, fact, fact. Yeah, I'd say fact, fact, fact to myself. At first, I looked at Milwaukee and I'm like, eh, fifth. But, you know, they've had COVID injury just like everybody else. It's not like they underachieved as far as their talent. You know, I know... LA hasn't had Davis for, you know, for a little bit of a stint in the first half, but you know, from the talent they've had and the expectation, you know, even though I don't think we've ever, ever had him in a championship conversation, we probably had him in the top four in the West. And I think most people would put them as well, like in the preseason. So yeah, um, New York definitely as well as someone who underachieves. So I would say definitely fact, definitely the biggest underachieving team in the first half. Beautiful. That wraps up a quick wrap-up. Don't forget, Pro, the All-Star Game's starting soon, so make sure you – sorry, tomorrow. Make sure you tune in and watch that absolute uh, clinical display of basketball prowess, Pro. Um, let me know how it goes next week oh. on, on Rogue Bogues. You can let listeners know because I won't be watching it. Uh, neither will I, so I'd rather you know, I'd rather watch a documentary on broccoli, to be <laughs> honest with you, so I'm good. And good luck to Patty Mills, Australian representation. I think Josh Giddy's in the skills as well. Um, but Paddy Mills in the three-point contest. Let's hope he gets a win for Australia. Has every chance he's shooting the ball real well. So that that's one I will potentially will watch later today. Um, but as for the All-Star game, that won't will not be me. We'll see you all next week.